Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 20 for October 26th, 2010. Our special one-year anniversary episode. Yeah, so it was one year ago today, probably even this time at night, that uh, we got together and recorded our pilot episode that uh, is now available for download uh, at the time of the recording. So by the time you're listening to this, uh, you would have already listened to 20 episodes. So I'm sure. Of course. Because <laughs> why would they miss an episode, Ken? This is this is good stuff. It's riveting. <laughs> the word riveting comes to mind. Plus, everybody, you know, wants to know what happens to Captain Pike. And, exactly. And the good crew. And uh, here we thought that these would be the last two Pike episodes, but we have actually found two more we- episodes worth of comic books to read that deal with Captain Pike. So we actually have four more Pike episodes. Excellent. I know. And not only focusing on Pike, but also on uh, number one and The Crew. There you go. The Crew. Cool. Yeah. So today we are going to be doing which ones, Ken? We are going to be doing Captain's Log, Pike, which is a very interesting IDW uh, publication. And then we're going to uh, launch into the uh, limited uh, series called The Crew. We're going to try to get, fit in uh, issues one and two today. Yeah, so Captain's Log Pike is actually like a issue number three of their Captain's Log series. The first one was Sulu, the second one was Harriman, and the third one is Captain Pike. The fourth one just came out yesterday or the day before or last week. That deals with uh, Jericho, but like each episode, each issue just deals with another captain, and uh, I thought it was cool that the Pike one came out right when we were finishing up early voyages. So this is actually the newest comic we've ever reviewed. Oh, because <laughs> at the time of the recording, it's less than a month old. So it's, it's oh wow, it's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. And, and then, by the way, uh, is it Jellico, Admiral Jellico, or is Jerick is that it's a different character. I'm not familiar. Uh, with it. No, same guy. Did I mispronounce it? Is it Jericho or Jellico? I thought it was Jellico. I could be wrong. Uh, you're probably right. Whatever. Um, yeah, Jellico. The guy okay. that took over the Enterprise there for a while when right when uh, Card wanted to be a pirate. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's just uh, jump right into the synopsis of Star Trek. Captain's Log, Pike, that came out September of 2010 by IDW Comics. The writer was Stuart Moore. Art and the colors were both by J.K. Woodward, and this is all painted. It's really nice artwork. Uh, Letters by Robbie Robbins, and editor is by Scott Dunbeer. So here we go. So the cover has this cool headshot of young Pike and older Pike. 
uh, in the foreground and in the background you see the Enterprise getting blasted by some unknown ship. All right, so then the story starts, and it starts in year 2253, which was shortly after the events of The Cage. So the uh, Enterprise is actually en route to Earth for a full debriefing on uh, the events that transpired there on Talos IV. Pike and Number One are in a dark, somber captain's chambers having drinks and discussing the losses uh, that happened on Rigel and the choices that they made there on Talos IV regarding Vena. Uh, he asks number one, is it all worth it? Uh, just as number one is saying that she does not have the answers, the ship is thrown about, uh, knocking everyone off their feet. Uh, on the bridge, uh, Jose or Joe Tyler and Spock inform the captain that they are being attacked by an unidentified craft. In addition to them, we also see Mia Colt and the dark, a dark-haired woman that might be Sita Mohendes. Or I guess it might actually... But I kind of doubt it since she was created for the early Voyages Marvel series and has never been in anything else. But it could be her. All right. As they discuss the options, uh, they're attacked yet again. Pike is tired of being um, on the defensive, so he decides to beam over a boarding party and request Colt to join him. In the transporter room, what looks like Transporter Chief Niles Pitkin, which uh, was again from the early Voyages, but also was just a background person in the actual episode, The Cage, uh, who's like the hmm. transporter chief. Right. Uh, he beams over Pike, Colt, and two random crew members, a.k.a. Red Shirts, <laughs> one and two. Uh, as soon as they materialize, they are attacked by these insect-looking aliens who fire energy weapons and speak in an unknown language. A crew member is immediately killed like as soon as they beam over. He will be referred to as Red Shirt number one. Colt is able to pinpoint the ship's warp drives, and Pike seals himself and Colt into the uh, engineering room and orders Ensign Stevens, a.k.a. Red Shirt Number 2, to guard the door. Uh, Colt and Pike are shaken up a bit as the Enterprise is returning fire on the craft. Uh, they are able to booby-trap the engines, and Pike hears Stevens die over the communicator. While waiting for transport, Pike actually asks Colt, is it all worth it? Colt says that she cannot answer that, and uh, then they're beamed away, and just as the ship is destroyed. So now we flash 12 years later, so it's now around 2265. So this is after Pike's two uh, five-year missions are over, and Kirk is out there somewhere in the Enterprise. So we see Fleet Captain Pike arriving on the USS Exeter, and he meets, the, he meets with the captain, who just happens to be Mia Colt. They joke a bit about what exactly a fleet captain is, uh, which is funny because I've always wondered that myself. Um, and then Pike is there to oversee a training mission and explains that the war between the Klingons and the Federation is just around the corner. Uh, while they're on the training mission, which is supposed to be just a quick lap around the solar system, they notice a similar alien craft that the Enterprise experienced uh, 12 years earlier, which was just the beginning of this book. The uh, the alien craft is, like, shooting something into Jupiter's atmosphere. It seems that this is a halogen ship and is attacking the solar system because it was denied Federation membership in the past. So it's kind of a revenge thing. Hmm. The Exeter takes a hit and is damaged. Um, and then the Exeter returns fire. Something called baffle plates start to buckle within engineering. 
within the Exeter, and Pike goes down to help. Colt return, uh, is continually returning fire on the same spot that she mapped out over a dozen years ago to be the engine room. Her, fi- her return fire uh, succeeds, and the alien ship is destroyed. Meanwhile, in, in the engineering room, Pike manages to pull 12 cadets from the engineering section just as the baffle plates uh, burst and he's, uh, he's uh, irradiated with delta rays. Uh, a short time later on, aboard a star base, a doctor is fitting Pike with the wheelchair slash life support and he tells Colt that he'll be able to answer yes-no questions with one or two blinks. Colt talks to Pike a bit, then she kisses him and she leaves saying, I hope it was all worth it to you. And as she leaves, we see Pike and there's one blink. The end. Sniff. Sad. Yeah, so... Is that I... what they used to do at the end of the uh, Marvel comics? What? Sniff sad? Mm-hmm. Who did that? Uh, at the end of, uh, like, Spider-Man comics and Fantastic Four. It was like a Stan Lee thing for a while back in the 70s when I was a kid. Yeah, I guess so. If, or, if it was a sad episode, or issue. Sniff sad. Yep. That's well. That's what they do. And then you would see like a like Mary Jane walking away with a little tear coming down her face or something. And then it's like say in the in the the bottom left corner or something. Sniff sad. Oh, it would actually say it. That's funny. Come on, (laughs) you're a comic book fan. I am, but I don't read a lot of the old Marvel stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, what'd you think? I thought it was good. Thought it was a nice artwork. Story was reasonably good. I was kind of surprised on some of the things Pike did. Like, like tell the second red shirt guy, uh, you just kind of guard the door, and we're going to be in here. And not only does he go in there and tell the guy to stay on the other side, but he actually uses his phaser to weld himself in. <laughs> so he's, like, welding exactly. the guy to stay outside. So no matter what uh, happens, dude, you're out here. And exactly. And we're taking, in here. I'm taking the lovely Mia Colt into this room. Exactly. <laughs> And she does look pretty cute in some of these panels. Yeah, she looks a lot. I mean, the artwork, I, I love the artwork, especially in the, the beginning mm-hmm. uh, where it's showing them as they were in the cage. Right. I mean, they look really good. I, I, I like this art art style. It's kind of like a watercolor type painting. Mm-hmm. It's really yep. nice. I do too. There are some spots, though, where it's a little bit... Uh, bl- um, a little bit especially, what? Especially the ship, some of the ship uh, shots. It's just a little bit too um, chunky. Little the lines aren't as well well defined. Like for instance, the Exeter. Well, I kind of like the Exeter because it's not a an it's like supposed to be an old ship. It's not supposed to be like a Constitution class ship. Oh really? Yeah, well, I can see that because they actually refer to it as a gray. they refer to it as a Class J, which I think actually comes from the Menagerie, where that doctor tells. Or that admiral, or whatever he was, tells Kirk and McCoy that he was aboard a Class J training vessel when he got hit by those Delta rays, or whatever they were. Oh, hmm. so I kind of like that they kept that in continuity. I mean, that's good. Yeah, but we find out that it was actually Captain Colt who was in charge of the ship. Exactly. Who would have Who would have thought? Well, she deserved it. She She went through a lot of uh, a lot of crazy stuff during her missions on uh, the Enterprise. Stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's just that that one shot of the Exeter uh, in dry dock is uh, I don't know. It looks like a twelve-year-old did it, oh, but right. all the other all the other ones look look nice and clean. 
Huh. I really like that shot. I, I like that shot with the little guy floating to the next to the side of it. I, I thought that was a pretty cool picture. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Just look at the saucer section. I mean, it looks like like somebody did it in shaving cream. I don't know. Nah, my, <laughs> my opinion. My opinion. All right. But yes, right. Uh, the artwork's quite good. And then would you let's see? What'd you think about uh, red shirt number one getting blasted as soon as he gets beamed over? Well, that. That was the uh, disintegration shot you had mentioned before. Looks pretty good. Yeah, I mentioned it before mm-hmm. offline, so anybody yes. listening to this will not know what we're talking about. They will not, but you did mention it to me before, and uh, it looks uh, pretty good. Yeah, you can like see his rib cage and everything underneath. I mean, yeah. he's he is being zapped good. And the uh, laser, phaser, whatever directed energy beam that hits the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first time by this weird ship. That looks pretty cool, though. Yeah. Looks no, like it does. a real nasty, nasty uh, beam. Well, yeah, and it's the same kind of beam that the little... Uh, that the creatures have coming out of their arms. The creatures are shooting, yeah. Right. So These squiddy-looking creatures. Yeah, I called them insect creatures, but they kind of look like um, like the Cylons from from the new, new Battlestar Galactica, except with little tentacles on their head. But the way their body shapes are, they look kind of uh, like Cylons to me. The, their hips and legs, right, they're really skinny. Spindly looking. Cool. Phaser beams look pretty good. You know, so everything's, you know, all the lasers look good. Yeah. Hey, uh, tell me if you noticed this on the third page of actual comic where Pike and number one are coming onto the bridge and Spock gives them a report. So it's the second panel on the third page of the actual comic. You get Pike saying, Spock. And then yes. Spock says, Sir, our records have not been updated for more than a year, but the vessel matches no known configuration. I want to mention that in a minute, but then the very next bubble says, and again it's Spock, Sir, our records have not been updated for more than a year, but the <laughs> vessel matches no known configuration. <laughs> Just in case you didn't get that idea in the first bubble, we're going to hit you again with it. So when I was reading it the first time, I was like, okay, so are we in some sort of time loop where, like, <laughs> it's going to repeat good point. the last five seconds ever so often? Ah, good point, good point. So I don't even know what happened. Did they just, they had a bubble there and they just didn't have any words to put in it? I, I think it's uh, either a conscious decision or bad editing. Yeah, just funny. You know, I like these IDW comics, but they are chock full of little errors like that. Like uh, like the first issue of this series, The Captain's Log, there, it was called Captain's Log Sulu. And in it, he, Sulu was supposed to be captain of the Excelsior, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's a shot where the Excelsior is supposed to be like tractor beaming the ship. And the artwork shows a Constitution class Enterprise. Mm-hmm. But you can't see the name or anything. But suddenly the the artwork just changes from an Excelsior ship to a Enterprise ship, and then back again. So clearly different. Yeah, they look very different. All and right. it's funny that all the schematics behind Sulu throughout the whole thing is also Enterprise instead of the Excelsior. Right, so, right, right. So I just chalk it up. Sloppy. To, uh, yeah, it just seems weird. I mean, and the artwork is so good, but just. It's there's just little inconsistencies like that that kind of annoy me. But what I was getting at is why are there uh, why are their records not updated for more than a year? It's, I thought that they were always kind of in communication, even though they were you know 
exploring so. strange new worlds. You'd think so. But you remember in Enterprise, where they were actually setting out the uh, communication boys? Yeah. That apparently made subspace communication possible in some way? Maybe the Enterprise back in those days were beyond the closest boy. Who knows? Yeah, know. but you think they would have at least touched base once a year or You'd more than so. once a year? You know, it, it's almost, you know, some of this kind of annoying. But it's almost like they're making this up or something. <gasps> Don't say that, John. Ken. <laughs> John. Ken. <laughs> Phil. Yes. <laughs> yes, me, Ken. <laughs> Don't say that, Ken. <laughs> say it isn't so. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, when you make up stuff, sometimes, uh. Hey, watch it. Stuff. It uh, it, does, it isn't always consistent, but uh, in general, they do a fine job. However, every once in a while, not that good. All right, this was a fine one. Uh, it looked good, and of course, the poignant ending, as we finally find out what happened. Yeah, so we to s- to to the captain, and that's quite sad. Yes, it is. But I, I got a question. If you get hit by delta radiation like this, and the the picture there on that page, they're not numbered, so I don't know what it is, but you really see him being thrown back in the rays, like going through him. According to Marvel, which you were quoting earlier, shouldn't he like get superpowers? Shouldn't he become like a Hulk <laughs> or something? Isn't that how that's it works? The way, that's the way they always got it. Yeah. Radiation, so. baby. So he's getting delta radiation, which is, I guess, different than gamma radiation. But it is apparently in in a negative way. Yeah, it just it just messes you up and puts you in a wheelchair. Yeah, it makes you look that, like a different uh, actor. Exactly, just messes you up, puts you in a wheelchair that Picard puts you in. Yep. All right. Well, that's all I have to say about that. I, I wonder why they drew him. I guess, maybe just random, but that guy who's put who's. Uh, taking care of his wheelchair looks a little bit like Picard. Oh, is that why you called him Picard? Yep. Yeah, I was a little curious on why you did that. Yep, that's why. Uh, the thing yeah, I I'm had drunk. about about the artwork there in the in the second half is why Mia and this Doctor too have the Enterprise logo on their chests because, as we know, during the Kirk era, every starbase and every um, ship had a different mission badge. Oh. It wasn't until the motion picture that everybody used the standard, the uh, Enterprise logo. Just, just being nitpicky. That's all. Yes, you are. But, but that—that's why we love you, Donovan. Aw, fountain of knowledge. And the joke about fleet captain. I love that because what the heck is a fleet captain? Exactly. I'm sure somebody who's been in the navy navy could probably tell us. Well, what's funny is that in this comic book, they say almost word for word what we were joking around about last week. We were saying, um, you know, is it so, what's the difference between a fleet captain and a commodore? Right. And, I mean, they pretty much make the same joke about, you know, it's a, it's sort of like an old-style flag admiral, which whatever that means. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I just thought it was funny that, that they had the same comments that we had last week. Right. All right. So, shall we move on to crew number one, or you still have some more? I do not have any more. Let us bid a fond farewell to beeping Captain Pike. Fleet Captain Pike. Mm. Oh, he'll beep again. He will beep again. 
Oh, he will. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're going to go on to our second book of the episode, which actually is the first crew episode. Um, this particular one is titled Shakedown. And we are treated, I, I say treated, to the beginning of one of our favorite starships ever. Okay. Starships are true crew members, because this is kind of the start of two. It is. It, what's cool about this one is it is definitely an origin story. And it's the origin of, uh, of a crewman and of uh, a ship. Shall we move on? Yes, please. Okay. So, this is uh, episode or issue number one of Star Trek The Crew. It was published date March 2009. Creative team is written and drawn by John Byrne. Color by Mario Boone. Letters, Neil. Ooh. You you, you take. That's my shot at pronouncing it. Editor is Chris Ryle. Synopsis. The cover shows number one diving out of the way of a laser pistol shot in the hallway of a ship. That image is presented within the silhouette of what appears to be a Constitution-class uh, ship within a star field. The title, Star Trek Crew, with John Byrne's name above it, is at the top of the cover. The opening panel is a crowded city skyline at night with many flying vehicles in perpendicular lines across the sky a la Star Wars. In a waiting room, four young people sit, of which one appears to be number one. A fifth person enters the room, refers to them as rookies, and tells them to get moving to a shuttle transport. The shuttle is conveying the rookies up to space while they complain about scheduling changes caused by an accelerated shakedown schedule. They are headed up to a ship that is to take a spin around the solar system. The ship turns out to be a new Constitution-class starship with the call letters NX-002. The rookies enter the ship's docking bay and land. They disembark and are told to hurry to sick bay where Dr. Boyce will check them out. Dr. Boyce, who looks much closer to the original actor who played the character on the cage, is surly today. The four strip... uh, The four young cadets strip down to their underwear and get their physicals. Boyce mentions three more cadets that are late to their physicals and will pay hell for it if they are too much more late. Good English. Uh, They depart each other's company and go to their individual quarters. Number one's room is shared with two other ladies who talk about the skipper, who is said to be Admiral Rasmussen, who is known for his boring academy lectures. Scene cuts to a huge room, probably the shutter hangar deck, where the Admiral addresses the crew concerning the traditional shakedown crews for new ships. He goes on to say that this ship will be commissioned as the Enterprise, which is a name with a long, proud heritage. The Admiral says, let's light this candle. And with that, the mooring lines are cast off and the Enterprise moves out of space dock. The ship is given the go-ahead for full impulse power. In engineering, they make ready for the power increase when number one states abnormal readings in a port intercooler of the warp nacelles. 
Meanwhile, back at Starfleet Academy, a buried body is found by accident while uh, normal gardening activity is, is happening. The missing cadet, perhaps? Back at engineering, number one runs diagnostics to verify the panel's readings. As they enter the Oort cloud, they get the orders to make ready for warp speed. The anomalous readings continue, but no one is sure if they are dangerous or not. Number one is ordered to check them out manually, so she and another crewman head to the starboard pylon access tubes. Meanwhile, back on Earth, a doctor examines the buried body. He states to the incoming police officers that the body is of a man who was beamed alive into the dirt. Not a pretty way to die. Panels interweave between the Earth CSI doctor's investigation and number ones on the Enterprise. The parallel storylines culminate in the identification of the Dirt Man as Cadet Ramirez, who number one so happens to bump into in the starboard pylon. Ramirez states he has done something that number one is too late to undo and pulls a gun. Number one's companion is disintegrated. Thinking quickly, she throws her tricorder at Ramirez, who is knocked unconscious. Number one looks around and finds a bomb with a countdown timer engaged. She pulls Ramirez out of, the in- out of engineering before the bomb goes off and takes a big chunk out of the nacelle with it. In engineering, Lieutenant Chow and another engineer react to the explosion by moving to shut down the entire starboard nacelle. Before they can complete their urgent task, a third crewman named Osterman enters and disintegrates both engineers. Osterman communicates with someone he calls Shadow and refers to himself as Carr. The Shadow orders Carr to shut down main systems, which is immediately detected by uh, the Admiral and bridge crew. A Klingon heavy cruiser is next to the NX-0002, Inside the Klingon crew make preparations to tow the NX-0002 using their grappler beams. Number one enters sickbay with Ramirez, who landed on his head, ouch, during their escape from the nacelle explosions. Dr. Boyce examines Ramirez and concludes he is an alien, possibly Klingon. Just then, the Admiral bursts into sickbay without his right arm. He says one man entered the bridge and killed everyone. He lost his arm in the attack, but was able to escape through the emergency exit. He tells them the Klingons have them in tow, but as soon as they exit the Oort Cloud, they will go to warp, and all will be lost. They have minutes to save their butts. The Admiral points out three weak points on a Klingon battlecruiser, but with no weapons, there's no way to capitalize on it. Number one says she has a way to hit those points, but needs help to make it happen. Number one's plan is to fly three shuttles on automation as decoys and manually fly the fourth at the Klingon ship. She says she will do it, but the Admiral knocks her aside and takes the fourth shuttle. He says he wants to go out with meaning and not just fade away as an old dungle. The ship bay doors are blown open, and the Admiral departs with his three robotic decoys. Number one gets to engineering, kills the Klingon masquerading as Osterman, and starts to make preparations for her next move. She tells another crewman to get to communications and send a signal as soon as the Admiral is successful. The Admiral rams the shuttle into one of the battlecruiser's weak spots, and it temporarily loses power. The NX-0002 breaks free. The NCC-1700 
comes out of nowhere to blast the Klingon ship to bits with its phasers. Later in the commendation meeting, the crew is hailed as exemplary, particularly given their lack of combat training. Number one turns down the special commendation teed up for her and says it was all Admiral Rasmussen's plan, and she just carried it out. She marks the inside of the bulkhead. Oh, uh, the committee uh, all just accept what she says and just remembers her name, which, interestingly enough, we never hear. And then they say, okay, fine. Uh, She marks the inside of a bulkhead and says that she will make it back to the ship one day. The end. Yep. Not a bad story. No, it was good. And I really like how they never mention her name at all. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And they make a point of it. Yeah. I mean, not only do they not mention it, but they make a point that that the uh, the brass is not going to forget her name. Right. And then, you know, not to spoil anything for the, the next four issues, but that's kind of a running joke throughout the whole thing. Right. They're always about to say her name, or she's about to say her name, and they get cut off. And, <laughs> but uh, but we all know her as uh, Cadet Robin, right? And that her, her last name was Robin, and the, or her first name was Robin. I thought it was last name. Yeah, it was her well, last name. I don't name. know. No, you're right. You're right. Her last name was Robin. But what's funny is that uh, I just finished uh, a novel called Where the Sea Meets the Sky, and it was a Captain Pike novel. And in mm-hmm. it, they called her Robin Leffler. Oh. Which is huh? funny because that's supposedly huh? her daughter huh? in the New Frontier uh, right. timeline. Right. I think it was just a typo. They also called Pike's previous yeoman before Colt. They called him Leon, which I don't think was his name in the other one. But oh, anyways, typos, nothing but typos. I know. At least they didn't repeat a whole word balloon of uh, dialogue. <laughs> well, the few things Spock says in the last issue. So anyways, okay. so what do you think of this story? Oh, I thought it was quite good. Yeah. Quite good. Yeah, the, the, the artistry was fine. I thought everything was nice, crisply done. You know, bo- uh, number one looks kind of cute in her underwear. Yeah, um, when she's getting uh, checked out, checked out, checked out by boys who I mentioned earlier looks a lot more like he like like he did on the cage. Right. So. So do you think Doctor Boyce is just there for this shakedown cruise, and then uh, and then he's not going to come back until Pike's captain? I don't know. Or, or was he on the ship when April was the commander? Well, in the oh. um. In the episode, the orig- the animated series, there was an episode called the Counterclockwise Incident or something like that. But in it, a retiring Captain April, or he's Admiral April at that point, uh, and his wife come aboard the Enterprise. And the wife states that she used to be the chief medical officer on the ship. Oh, so okay. um, I'm assuming that that means that they are – that she served with, with uh, April – as um, as, as a medical officer, voice. right? Yeah. Which maybe, yep. Maybe. So it just seems odd why they would even have voice on here. I mean, they yeah. should have just had another doctor, right? Would have made it a little bit uh, less coincidental. Yeah, they could bring uh, you know, Doctor uh, Piper from uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, since that's there you go. the only time we ever see him too. Anyways, one of my favorite episodes. What was his name? Charlie X. Charlie X. No, what, what was... That was a different episode. Oh, okay. I get him confused. Yeah, I think I think Charlie X was... Was that the first one filmed, or that was the first one shown? Uh, other than the pilot. 
It was something like that. All right, so yeah. expl- where no man has gone before, that's the one where his friend gets all the superpowers, right? Sure. Yeah, but, that was the second part. But his name's not Charlie? No, no. Charlie X was, was an episode, like, maybe three episodes down. But he got well, superpowers, he's... too? No. Well, yeah, that's an interesting point. He had superpowers. He was a teenager. Right. Full of teenage angst. <laughs> and they found him on some planet or something. Uh, Colonists or something found him. He was... Uh, I, don't, I don't know that they ever explained exactly where he got his powers from. Okay. That's... I think some... Yeah, I think it was some kind of super race, found the kid, helped him, and they gave him the powers, and by the end of the episode, they had to take him back because he wasn't fit to be with people or something, I forgot. Mm. No, that's a totally different guy. Right. Well, I mean, I think Kirk, Mitchell. Kirk's friend Mitchell. was Gary Mitchell, right? Gary Mitchell, that's it. Yeah. The only reason I bring him up is that uh, the only mention or – one of the only mentions that I can think of of the Enterprise being a second Constitution class ship was there was a pair of novels that came out that was called Star Trek My Brother's Keeper or something like that. Uh-huh. But one one book was called Constitution and the second book was called Enterprise. And I think those two books, from what I read of the synopsis, of, you know, the little back covers because I've never actually read the book, but it deals with Captain or you know, a, a young Kirk and a young uh, Gary Mitchell um, hmm. working with those two ships. Oh, cool. So, anyways, I just thought that that time frame would be about the time same time frame as this, this story with the shakedown crews of the Enterprise. Right. But, I mean, since we're talking about the books, or at least I'm talking about the books, and you're being forced to listen. No, uh, I, I'm not forced. <laughs> I, I could hang up easily. But... Uh, there's there's two book novels, other novels that I read. One was called Best Destiny, and one was called Final Frontier. And in it, it dealt with Captain April on the shakedown cruise of the Enterprise, and George Kirk, who we all know is oh. uh, Jim's dada, mm-hmm. is actually like a. Uh, in the first one, he's just kind of there, and then the second one, I think he's actually the um, second in command, the commander. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually the end of that one of the books where. George Kirk actually suggests to April that they should name it Enterprise. I guess that continuity does not fit this continuity at all since the no. Shakedown crews <laughs> had a different admiral and he already knew that it was going to be called Enterprise when it was done. Yeah. Anyways, that's me again, being nitpicky. How about being nitpicky over the admiral's hair color changing? Where it goes from gray to red? Mm-hmm. I think th- A natural red, and then back to gray again. Well, I thought that too when I first read it, but I think when it's red, it's because the ship's losing its power or whatever, and everything's kind of oh, emergency lighting. Oh, really? Yeah, because if you, you think that, if you look, everything's kind of shaded differently. Uh, but it threw me at first too when I first read it, and then suddenly I'm they're back to normal it. lighting, and he's back to gray. Yeah. But, but let's not worry about his hair. Just look how badass this guy is. He lost an arm. Yes. And he's still yeah, making so, orders and flying ships. And, I mean, he is right. awesome. He is totally awesome. So he he makes a brief mention about how when his arm was shot off, it was cauterized. So that's why he's not bleeding out everywhere. But, geez. But you would think that it probably would hurt a little bit. Yes, it would. I mean, when Luke got his arm chopped off and it got cauterized, he still screamed like a little baby. 
Well, he's not a fleet admiral, man. I Come on. Not. I guess not. And he doesn't have any metachlorians or anything to help. Anyways, so uh, I don't know if you know this, but I swear I've read somewhere that when the um, that the Klingons tried to take over the Enterprise A or the Enterprise the refitted Enterprise, uh, and I'm I can't remember where I've read that if it was in a comic book somewhere or if it was in a, a novel somewhere. Have you ever heard anything like that? Mm. Remember the Ferengis taking over the Enterprise D, but uh, I don't remember. I don't remember the original Enterprise being taken yeah. over by Klingons. It might it might end up being one of the comic books that DC put out that we'll get to one day. But in it, the Klingons were trying to take over the refitted Enterprise because of its, uh, you know, uh, new technology or the new uh, warp drive or whatever. Uh, but for the life of me, I can't remember where I read that. So, anyways, I just thought it was a little coincidental that it was almost the exact same story that. The Klingons attacked the uh, Enterprise while it was going through its little shakedown cruise. Oh, yeah. So, Well, the whole idea of shakedown cruise, I mean, the entire first part of it was taken directly out of uh, Generations. Right. Or at least, at least I assume Generations, well, Generations first came out with this. No, Generations took it from the motion picture, didn't they? Because... Wasn't that supposed to be kind of a shakedown cruise that Admiral Kirk was going to be overseeing and Captain Decker was the captain and then they ended up having to go chase V'ger? Um, I don't remember Kirk being on board to do... It's been a long time since I've seen that one. But I didn't think that's where they got it from. I mean, they, they so much of this particular one is talking about a, a commander... On his on his way out, coming on to to take the new ship out around the block, it just seemed a lot like generations to me. No, I I, I agree. Uh, and I guess it's an idea that has been retread from several different places, more movies than I uh, than I had realized. But anyway, the whole front part of it just seemed just like uh, generations to me. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And... Only we had a Harriman who was a young captain, and Kirk was just there to oversee, as opposed to this case, where the Admiral is actually uh, commanding the ship. Yeah, and he's boring. Boring. Apparently so. What's fine? But man, he can sure be pretty cool. And by the way, not to, not to change the subject too much, but beaming directly into dirt? <laughs> mm, wow, that just, that just doesn't sound right at all. Um, No. Does that have any president in any of the shows? I I think it's I do not remember this ever happening. I remember it being mentioned. If you don't get it just right, you'll beam into solid rock. Right, and then there was but, like that episode of the Next Generation where, for whatever reason, they were like Troy was beamed. Troy and some people were beamed over while the Enterprise was going to warp, and she makes a comment like, "Therefore, second, I felt like I was beamed into that wall." And then Jordy's like, "Well, therefore, second, you were." You remember that episode? No, I forgot what it was. I mean, it was just—it was just a silly one-liner that had absolutely nothing to do with the story. And and I remember thinking when I was watching it, going, "It takes two seconds to beam somebody down. The Enterprise couldn't <laughs> wait two seconds before they started taking off. <laughs> Why they had to do it at the exact same time?" Right. But anyways, 
but yeah, I in and, and Enterprise I think they also had a, somebody getting beamed up and had like leaves and stuff inside of them because because of the the beaming process. Leaves inside of them. Oh, cool. You don't oh. remember that? It was because remember in Enterprise it was still all kind of new the whole sure. beaming thing sure. and one of the first episodes had some crewman getting beamed up and like sand and dirt and stuff got beamed up with him inside of him. So did that hurt him? Yeah. No, he wasn't He wasn't feeling too good. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what episode that was, but it has to be like the fourth or fifth episode of the, the series. Wow. Cool. One thing I do like about that show, at least they didn't, I mean, even though they quickly got to having pretty much all the all the goodies that you're used to, even though this was like the first Starship, and they had all these things uh, within like the first season, pretty much, at least they made some attempt to go for a while without transporters and without uh, phasers and without a tractor beam. At least they made an attempt. Yeah, they never did get a tractor beam. The Vulcans had it, but they would never share the technology with them. So they had those, like, grappling gun type. Exactly, which would really... Uh, I, I, I think the special effects depicted, depicted it well, but the idea of shooting out... <laughs> Magnetic grapplers? I thought it was actually kind of cool. I, it just didn't seem very practical for any kind of distance. But, but... Which, it must be going pretty good distances. I don't know. Well, anyways, back to your guy being beamed into the dirt. Yes. What, Is that what we're talking about? What, oh, yes. what was the reason why they even did that? And why beam it into Starfleet Academy's dirt instead of, <laughs> oh, I don't know, a desert somewhere or in the middle of the ocean <laughs> or out there in space somewhere? I don't know. But beaming somebody directly into dirt not only kills them, but also gets the body out of the way. I thought it was kind of clever. Yeah, but they still had to do DNA testing, and they were able to figure out who it was. Yep. So it's not like it really covered their well, just, traps, tr- uh, cover their tracks too much. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to do it, I mean, can't you just... Didn't they... I know in Next Gen they were talking about the idea of just beaming somebody out into space. Yeah. They, and then just... and But, but instead of... Uh, Putting all their their bits back together again, just beaming their like molecules out into space or something. Oh yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Now that would be a real good way to cover up evidence. <laughs> yeah. So why didn't they do that? Just I don't know. Seems good con- question. Just convenient for the plot, I guess. To uh, exactly have the CSI there. Yeah, and the good thing about that is at least the reader understands what's going on. But that really didn't help the crew at all. Them no, figuring that out. Absolutely. Did not. No. But I did like how they, they had like the two panels or the two yeah. Uh right above each other. Right. Where the doctors make the identification and then right below it, oh, there he is. Ramirez. Yep. Nope. It was cool. Yeah. And you said when they were getting phased, uh like when she phases the Klingon that's that's disguised as him. Mm-hmm. Well, did get killed? This guy's a different guy. I, I thought well, that they stunned him. Oh, I would have killed him. But, <laughs> but I mean, I mean he, 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 these Klingons are running around the ship. They're just killing people left and right. They took the freak. Uh, they took the arm off the off the admiral. Yeah, they did. I, I'd kill him. <laughs> well, his body's still laying there right afterwards. So I would have. That's what made me think maybe he didn't just get vaporized. Oh, no guts. So, anyways, 
last thing I have about that is how much time from the time that number one showed up on the ship to them taking off, you think? Because they're still like putting hull plates on the ship when her little shuttle drives by. Yep. Don't you think um, they would already have that done if they were about to take off? You'd help. You would help. Although I did like that. I liked how it showed the little shuttlecraft going past Enterprise, just like we see in like Star Trek The Motion Picture and the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, the first episode of Enterprise, and then the new movie. The new movie, yes. Yeah. The same thing. It's kind of all the same thing. <laughs> I, I like that. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that is kind of cool. It's like, holy crap. It's the Enterprise. Anyway. But uh, I will I will also say that they depicted the, the, the guy that number one shoots. Yeah. He's all green and stuff. Right. And the rest of it. Everybody else was, de- was red. Red and dead. Yeah, they so were. So green must be Stun. fine. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. I would have taken him out <laughs> with extreme prejudice. Okay. All right. So anything else for that one? Nope. I'm good. Excellent. Me too. All right, you want to jump into number two? Issue number two of the crew, yes. Let's do it. So Star Trek crew number two, uh, IDW, April 2009, and this one is titled The Bottle. It was written by John Byrne, uh, interior and cover art by John Byrne. Tom Smith and Scorpion Studios was the color. Letters by Robbie Robbins, and editor is Chris Ryan. Ryle? Is that how you said it earlier? Ryle? Uh, Ryle. Ryle. I, I don't know. I'm just saying it. <laughs> All right. If you, if you say it quick enough and don't question yourself, and people buy it. Okay. Yeah. So we sound like we're authorities. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one thing you missed on the, the credits is that yeah. all five of these crew issues are dedicated to the memory of Margell Barrett Roddenberry, which I cool. thought was a nice little touch. All right, so synopsis. So the the first uh, cover, or the only cover, I guess, is a, a picture of uh, what we know as Ensign Robbins with uh, her uh, shirt ripped, and uh, and she's entangled in a bunch of broken wires and metal. And the picture is within a little cutout of a different type of starship that we're not used to seeing called the USS Fortune. And uh, that's superimposed on, like, a bed of stars. So I, I like how all these uh, covers kind of look the same, but with different uh, ship outlines. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, there's no date given, but I put it somewhere between um, – it's been one to five years since the last issue. So it's, there's been a little bit of time since uh, issue number one. I guess that it was about 2244 since she says in the next issue that it's been five years since she was on the Enterprise. So, anyways, doesn't matter. It's uh, sometime later. So, we get uh, Ensign Robbins, and again, she's never mentioned by name. And Ensign Breen are um, doing some uh, EV work on the, the ship, attempting to repair some damage. And the ship is the USS Fortune. Uh, as they're working, the ship goes to red alert, and they are heading back inside. Uh, as soon as they get inside, they meet up with two other crewmen, and the ship is rocked by what feels like an ion blast. Uh, communications within the ship are down, and the ship is hit yet again. This time, the hull is ruptured, 
one of the other crew member is sucked out into the void. So very similar to what we saw in Star Trek, the 2009 movie, where we just see somebody out into space. Very cool. All right. Uh, the three remaining crewmen are trapped within two bulkheads, and they cannot get out. So then we get a flashback to uh, about an hour earlier, and we see the Fortune arriving at uh, Tau Alpha 3 to respond to a distress call. We see six crew members beam over to the planet, and they find that all the colonists are standing in this weird line and not moving at all. Uh, they go over and actually uh, kind of wave their arms in front of them and actually touch the uh, colonists, and their hands actually pass right through them, and the, the whole group of colonists disappear. They then, conclu- they then conclude that this is some sort of trap, and about that time uh, they start to get attacked, and one of the crew members is shot by something. All right, so then we get flashback to the present, and the temperature within the, the the trapped bulkheads is dropping, and the crew members are talking about how uh, bulkhead just behind the uh, blast doors must be open to space. Uh, Robbins then decides that she can uh, try to fit through the atmosphere conduits. Uh, she's only able to uh, she's the only one small enough to do it. But she must strip down into her undies to get in, to to do that. Bravo. Yeah. So uh, the the two other guys are referred to as Griggs and Breen, and they're concerned that uh, she'll freeze or she'll get trapped while she's attempting this and and die in there. Uh, she goes anyway, stating that uh, you know if she she's either going to die there with them or she'll die trying to save them. So we get a flashback to like I said about an hour ago or so. Uh, the remaining crew are attempting to find cover from a, a bombardment of a, of the attack. All of them, uh, but two, which is Robbins and one other guy, uh, are killed. And uh, then those two are uh, beamed back to the Fortune. Robbins heads straight to engineering and is informed um, that the time that their time warp has been knocked out. So they're still referring to it as time warp, which. I thought it was kind of cool. So anyways, uh, she's informed that the time warp has been knocked out by some unknown alien. Uh, there's a power spike, and Robbins and Breen must go EV to repair it. So that's about where we started. All right, so we now get to the, the now, where Robbins is in the in the conduit trying to get through, and her leg actually gets stuck on something. She's able to pull it free, but by pulling it free, she like rips a big uh, chunk out of her leg. Uh, so now she's able to eventually get out, but she's lost so much blood that as soon as she finds somebody, she just passes out. Uh, she awakens in sick bay, and her first thought is of Breen and Griggs. Uh, then what? What? Who I assume is Spock informs her that uh, he mind melded with her, and found out uh, found out where they were through her mind through the mind meld, and they were eventually rescued. Uh, Robbins, Breen, and the engineer. I'm assuming chief engineer, are looking at the damage of the ship when the primary hull is pulled away due to damage and stress. This uh, this pulling away is actually like the whole front hull just being ripped away from the ship. And uh, Robin states that um, two-thirds of the whole crew, including the captain, uh, are now dead. So Robbins talks the engineer into using the last of the power to beam over the remaining 27 crewmen to the to the planet's surface. Uh, Robbins Robbins Robin beams her beams everybody down uh, just as the aliens arrive and the fortune blows up. Uh, 
Uh, and when the fortune blows up, it takes the alien ship with it. And the destruction of the ship also causes the atmosphere on the planet to ignite, which I thought was <laughs> odd. So anyways, then it says that it's been 70 hours later, and the remaining crew pull themselves up out of the rubble uh, on the devastated planet. And they state that it might be some time before the Federation sends a ship to investigate the overdue fortune and the end. And it's not really continued into the next one to give you a spoiler. So by the next issue, they're they're saved already. So this was really just just it for the story. Wow. Yeah. It's that fortune just fell apart and go boom. Does that look a little bit like a Frankie ship? Yeah, the alien ship. It looks just like yeah. a Ferengi ship, hmm. which I thought I actually I like that because uh, yeah. you know, and we had that episode of the Enterprise or that episode of Enterprise where the Ferengi were there, but from the Next Generation we know that the Federation and uh, Ferengi don't don't meet each other until around that time. Hmm. So I kind of thought it was cool that it's an unknown ship, and then when the Fortune explodes, so does the Ferengi ship or the alien ship, so they're still unknown. Anyways, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you you thought it was the Ferengi ship too, because I thought maybe I was reading too much into it. No. Well, it's like a Ferengi ship to me. But how often does an explosion in space cause the whole atmosphere of a planet to ignite? Yeah. That, that really confused <laughs> me. I don't know, man. It just seemed like a lot, a lot of things were kind of thrown together there, story-wise. I mean, as soon as she beams down, she's like yelling at everybody, everybody take cover, excuse me, everybody take cover, we have less than three minutes. And then it explodes, and you just see this horrific wind just blowing through the planet, knocking over everything. Right. And then 70 hours seems like a really long time to be hiding underneath uh, rubble. It's three days. You need water by then. Or to Hopefully use the facilities. I mean, they're supposed to be all crammed together underneath this rock or whatever. Right. Yikes. And you notice that uh, their co- their little um, mission logos are not the Enterprise logos. So John Byrne did his homework and created a new mission badge mission badge for the for the Fortune. Very cool. Although I gotta say, the shape is kind of. Eh. Well, come on. Watch the old show. A lot of those other shapes are kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like on uh, in in older Superman or even Superman the motion picture, you know. It shows the other Kryptonians with their uh, Kryptonian symbols, and you see, like, Superman's dad with, a, with what is the S. And uh-huh. then you see everybody else with, like, these other weird, funky symbols, and you're like, those all look stupid except for Superman's. Because <laughs> he is the coolest. Yeah, but I mean, the same thing goes here. You just anything that's not the the Enterprise logo on their chest just doesn't look right. Um, that's really all I have. I didn't have a lot to say about this story because I'll be honest, I didn't quite care for it. Yeah, it's not one of the better ones. You know, they can't all be winners. I, I didn't even understand why the whole separated and killed two thirds of the crew. I mean, I know that they were attacked and that they were they had damage, but just all of a sudden, the the whole front of the ship just falls apart. It seems a, a little um, a little made up, a little um, forced. 
Yeah. But and, and and by the way, why is everybody attacking each other? Can't anybody just come by and just say, "Hey, need some help?" Well, especially if it was the Ferengi, they would be like, "We want to do business with you and steal all your latinum." Gold pressed latinum. Yes. Anyway, so um, this is an anniversary show. We haven't done much anniversary-like, except to acknowledge it. Well, that's all there is to do, Ken. Yeah, should we have, like, like special guest stars or, or somebody or something? Do you have a guest star in your pocket that uh, you're going to surprise me with? <laughs> mm, yeah. No. No, I don't. I can Sorry. run downstairs and see if my uh, four-year-old son wants to come and make an appearance. <laughs> That'd be cool. I mean, I'm, at, I'm, at, I'm in a hotel. There's lots of people in this hotel. He was only three years old when we started, and he's four years old now. Well, you know, <laughs> he was around for it then. That's true. He could be a good guest. Oh, maybe next. Maybe ne- next. Uh, maybe next. Next year. Next anniversary. Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, uh, in regards to the anniversary, <laughs> it is. We've acknowledged that we've had some difficulties getting some of these uh, or any of these. Really out there, except for those few that I put on YouTube. Right. But uh, we do have some actually out there that you can that uh, that people can download as of right now, and we should be on iTunes within the next day or two. Excellent. So we're getting there, Ken. So that that's it. I mean, this is the anniversary. The way to celebrate the anniversary of the podcast is to. Actually, put one out on iTunes and to kick it into Bravo. high gear. Bravo! <laughs> excellent, excellent work, Donovan. This is great. Anyways. I feel good about this. So. Okay, well, you know what? We've been able to get this one in at uh, one hour and one minute. One hour and one minute. That's right. Nice. So far, and counting. So three issues within an hour. This is a record. Well, I've said it before that I don't – these IDW comics don't have uh, – they go by pretty quick. And, yeah. and and that's nothing against IDW. It's just the whole comic book medium as it is today versus what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Right. Which is kind of sad because if you look at the price tag on these, these issues we just read, it, they're $4. $4 yeah, but... for something you can read in you know 10 minutes or so. Right, but at least, at least you don't have all the ads that you did in the Marvels. Yeah, they just yeah you don't have the ads for like you know for the latest video game or something. You just get the ads about other comic books that IDW is putting out, which I actually kind of like. But but yeah, you're right. But I think I would rather pay seventy five cents for a story and <laughs> get the ads than four dollars and not get the ads. I go because you can always ignore the ads. Exactly, and you never know. They might advertise something I really want. I might want like, to do some like X-ray a potato gun or some X-ray uh, glasses. Exactly, X-ray vision, <laughs> where you could see your hand, the bones in your hand. Oh, or perhaps some lovely lady. That's what I thought you were supposed to use it for. I didn't know it was actually for medical purposes. <laughs> X-ray glasses. Yeah, I always thought it was just for clothes. I didn't ever think that you could just. Uh, you know, if you fall and your legs twisted the wrong way, hold on, let me get my X-ray specs. Well, isn't that the uh, the cartoon drawing they had on the ad? 
they had somebody with them on, and then they looked at their hand, and they saw the bones in there? I don't remember. I just remember the glasses, and then they had the little spirally things where the, the, glasses, yes. the glass should be. Exactly. The spirally things, which really helped us see out of them. Well, well, you you were a kid about about that time, so did you have some? No. Because by, by the time I was a kid, uh, we were already wise on that, that uh, that was just a gimmick. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I, I didn't buy too much out of the comic books. Now, did you have Star Trek number one, or did you have the reprint that was like Star Trek number 36 or something like that? Oh, I have no idea. Back then, I had no concept of reprints or not. I mean, I had I had some of those original Gold Key comic books from a long time ago. I was pretty young, and uh, so it could have been the originals, but... Yeah, that's pretty say. cool, though. I wish you would have kept it. Back then. Me too. Me too. And go tell your past self to keep keep up with those things. Hey, if I could do that, I'd be telling my past self, Google, Apple, just buy, just buy. <laughs> well, you're not going to tell them, uh, you know, all the bank stuff? Bank stuff? You know, all the bank loans or all the bank stock to buy and just make sure you sell it before. 2007. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. no. Just go for Google. Google. Google Apple. Just just, just buy that when it comes up. <laughs> Qualcomm, too. Anyway. Anyways. Well, do we, do we want to go over the uh, elsewhere in Star Trek? Because 2009 do it, was a big year. When, yes, when it was a big year. The crew stuff came out. We were getting all prepped up for the, the movie. Oh, yeah. Which came out, what, May of 2009, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. So just real quick, what was coming out in March and April of 2009 in preparation for the movie was not a whole heck of a lot. Uh, there, was, <laughs> there was comic books, and there was a few novels. So in March, there was a um, Titan novel. So it was continuing the adventures of Captain uh, uh, Riker. Oh. Uh, so uh, the fifth of the Titan novels came out called Over a Tour at Sea by Christopher L. Bennett. Mm-hmm. And then in April, um, the continuation of Voyager, after they get back from the Delta Quadrant and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the book that came out in April was called Full Circle by Christine Bayer. And that was actually the seventh of the post-Voyager uh, series novels. And then a new New Frontier book by Peter David called Treason. And then, like I said, uh, obviously May 2009, we got the movie. Um, and then Pike came out September of 2010, just, just last month. And the only thing that came out uh, that month was a the novelization of the 2009 movie uh, was reprinted in uh, you know mass market paperback format. Because uh, it was originally released in like a, a large trade paperback. So it was about the size of a hardcover book, except it was a uh, softcover. Huh. But uh, just last month, they finally released it in the normal novel size. But I, I just think it's sad that, you know, the major big movie came out last year around this time. And mm-hmm. the only people really celebrating it or... or doing anything about it was IDW Comics. I mean, they, they were coming out with the Countdown um, series, which mm-hmm. I know you've read that we, we both oh, yeah. uh, enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had you know a couple other original series 
uh, miniseries ending around that time. But that was it. I mean, there was no, like, games or anything like that. You know, something else that was being put out to get everybody ready for the, the movie. But right. maybe they didn't need to. Maybe it well, sold itself. You know, it did, but uh, the thing is, after Nemesis, the franchise was in in uh, in hibernation for a while. I don't know if anybody knew how big the, the new movie was going to be. Despite J.J. Abrams and the great people that were behind it, I think uh, there might have been... Let's, let's actually see this thing prove itself. So Nemesis came out in what 2002, and then oh, that, was that was how long ago? That was when Void or Enterprise was still on. Yeah. And Enterprise ended in 2005, and then the new movie didn't come out till 2009. Right. Hmm. Which actually was not a bad hiatus. Four years. They had uh, milked the franchise pretty dry, which I never complained about personally, but there was a. A long period of going back to the well quite frequently on the uh, franchise. So, you know, ironically enough, that span there between Enterprise and the new movie mm-hmm. uh, doesn't quite match the the length of time between the uh, the end of the animated series, which was October of 1974, and then the the motion picture, which came out in December of 1979. So. Five years is the longest we've ever had to go without some sort of Star Trek, either on the TV or on the big screen. Right. So I well, that's an interesting point, but there are plenty of people that don't necessarily think the animated series counts. <gasps> what? Yes, it does count. Which, if it didn't, then that was a pretty big gulf between the end of the original series and the movie. So, from 1969 to 1980 or 1979. Indeed. Just so thank you, thank you, Obi Wan Kenobi, for helping to get people interested in space again. Mainly, Paramount executives. Oh, you're saying that they only made Star Trek the motion picture because of Star Wars? I don't know about only. But I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, it was. Have you ever looked into that Star Trek Phase 2 TV show that they were trying to make? No. I've never heard of it until you were talking about it. Oh, really? No, I think uh, when I went and saw... I mean, I I knew about the Star Trek, the the Phase 2 thing, and there's a lot of it on the special features of Star Trek The Motion Picture on the special Mm -hmm. edition that came out a a few years ago. Hmm. Um. But when I went and saw the sound of Star Trek or the Star Trek music, uh, Robert Picardo was kind of doing the MC thing. Oh, right, right, right. And he was kind of talking about, you know, this was the theme for the original series. And then he was like, and then, then in 1979, they were coming out with the movie. And, and he gave this little, like, dialogue on how, how he thought that the um, interview went with Gene Roddenberry and Paramount. Mm-hmm. Where they were, like, sitting around going... Uh, we want something kind of like this Star Wars thing that's real, real popular. And and Gene's like, well, you know, I can make Star Trek a movie. And they're like, oh, would you? Could you? Uh, I'm not doing it justice because Robert Picardo was obviously a lot funnier. But I mean, mm-hmm. it was just funny how he just changed from you know monotone, like executive, to suddenly he was just like this anxious little kid about pumping out a, a Star a sci-fi franchise. Mm-hmm. Anyways, <laughs> that's all redundant and boring, so I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> Anyways, what else you got for this uh, this lovely anniversary episode? Uh, I don't have anything else. Just to say, um, it's been a pleasure. 
Donovan. Yep, it's been a good year. It's been it a been. been a crazy year, but it's been a good year. Yes. And hopefully, some people will start hearing these episodes. Yeah, and hopefully, because definitely we we do like the stories. We do love the franchise. Hopefully, hopefully, and, our fan or fans on uh, YouTube will uh, download it. Because they're, yes. they're like the only ones that have actually given us any type of feedback except for a few friends and uh, our spouses. Right, right. <laughs> so, anyways, that being said, signing off on our anniversary, first anniversary episode. And next week we'll get back to more of uh, Captain Pike because he will actually start coming into the crew. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Yep. Take care, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes, or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.